Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. In the upcoming interview, we talk a lot about pain and about how to start getting our body to feel something different. And one thing that Dr. Perry talks about more than anything is moving and just finding different ways to move. And we have the perfect toolkit that's going to help you getting moving, especially in home, our optimal body therapy kit that right now you can get a 10% discount on with code optimal 10. So if you go click the link in the show notes, you can get our kit that has all of the bands, a jump rope, sliders, towels, everything that you're going to need to get yourself moving in home. It's all the tools that Jen and myself use and use with clients when we're assigning them exercises to do in home to get your body moving and feeling something different when it comes to your pain, your aches, and your movement. Go to the link in the show notes, use code OPTIMAL10 and get yourself our Optimal Body Therapy Kit. Let's head into the interview with Dr. Perry. We have Dr. Perry Nicholson on the podcast, who's a doctor of chiropractic and also known as the Limp Doctor. He's an international speaker and educator on movement and chronic pain and someone that I've admired for so long and so excited to finally have on the podcast. He's the founder of Stop Chasing Pain, which if you go to Instagram right now, look up Stop Chasing Pain and go follow him right now. You won't regret it. He's also the founder of Pain Laser Center and Functional Health Solutions. He's the author of the upcoming book, Stop Chasing Pain, A Vital Guide to Recovery and Performance and a creator of Body Aquarium Lymphatic Mojo, which is a self-help treatment program for chronic pain and performance. He's the creator of Primal Movement Chains and Fluid Force Systems designed to increase movement competency and fluency. He's also a rock tape master instructor and a board member for the American Institute of Medical Laser Application. He really is incredible. He's been doing this work for over 25 years, and I'm so excited for you to learn from him. Perry, thank you so much for showing up and being here. As I said before we even came on, Perry's been someone that I've admired, you know, just through my years from even before I graduated PT school into now where I am today. And I still reference your work and look at what you're doing and and just admire how you're truly educating and helping people. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much. That's very kind of you to say. And I'm so excited to be here. So I just kind of want to start out by pitching a small little question your way, but what, where did the initial interest in pain come from? I know that's one thing that you're known hugely for, but where did that initial interest on continuing to dive into that come from? That's a great question. Through my own pain. Mm. <laughs> so, isn't that the way it is for most people, honestly? Yeah, um, it is. Totally. Your own experience. Yeah, pain is a, is a catalyst for change. We usually don't choose to go down pathways on our own sometimes, right? Especially when we know they're going to be difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're supposed to go down them, you might say. And then pain is a really good motivator on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got into it from getting injured a lot over and over just through I was exercise and uh, compete. I was in bodybuilding for many, many years and uh, just tearing myself up. And I went to a chiropractor and then they would put me back together. And I thought to myself at one point, that's some really cool stuff. I think I would like to do that. And then I worked towards becoming one, but I quickly got frustrated because, you know, I felt like I was just 
taking care of people for the same problems over and over and over that kept coming mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And then that was my journey to figure out, well, why does the stuff keep coming back? I mean, what's, what's the deal with that? And that I'm still trying to find that answer today. <laughs> right. It's yeah. an ever, ever th- like ever learning journey. And I think that's what makes you incredible too, is that you continue to, to search and to be curious and, you know, how long did you practice in like traditional chiropractic care? You know, kind of what we think of chiropractic or the general population might think of it as, as like adjustment and go. How long did you kind of, were you in there? Good question. I've been doing it for about 25 years now, which is hard for me to even say that number. <laughs> uh, I'd say 10, I guess. So mm-hmm. um, I got close to a point where I was so frustrated with the, just the healthcare system in general that I was about ready to leave. And then uh, that's where Stop Chasing Pain was born to, you know, not, of course, treat where you have pain, but don't chase it, which is what I was doing all the time. You know, people would point somewhere mm-hmm. and then I would do some things to it and make it feel a little bit better, but that doesn't seem to be working out very well mm-hmm. in the long run. And it's a paradigm that we're still chasing, unfortunately. And, uh, so I started to look at the body differently and looking, here's a novel idea. Let me look at parts of the body that don't hurt. And maybe they're contributing something to the areas that do hurt. Mm. But so that got me looking into looking at movement and then looking at still, but I was still looking at the musculoskeletal system. So what I mean by that is this, if somebody came on in and they had pain in their left knee, up to that point, I would be working on the left knee and I would be doing some stuff to the spine because that's chiropractic, that's what we do. But I never thought to myself, well, maybe it's coming from the ankle below it that doesn't move that well. And then the knee is paying the price. Or maybe it's something from the hip above it that is not controlling itself well. So then the knee pays the price. Mm. And I got really excited because I started to make some changes. I'm like, this is great. And then Mm. I started to expand. Maybe it's coming from the other side that that I'm not even looking at. Or maybe it's coming from the opposite upper shoulder from that. And so it became exciting again. It was like uh, being a detective, if you will. But I was still stuck in the same system, the musculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I branched out into neurology and looking at neuroscience. And that was great. But that got me to a certain place. And then um, I ended up getting sick. Ooh. This was probably 10 years ago, and then uh, it was more of an immune system issue. And Mm. what I had learned up to that point was no longer enough to help me with what I had. So I had to expand my thinking. And through that suffering, it got me to look at all the other different systems of the body. And that's honestly what I have been searching for. Like I needed to, I needed to really hit rock bottom for me to see what was always there. It's called the elusive obvious mm. that once I realized and took to heart all the other different systems of the body and that they're all working together, then that was the puzzle piece that I needed in order to change my, my reframe, my re-meaning, if you will, about how I approach the body. And I never would have found it if I didn't hit rock bottom, because why would I, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. It's only when you're hit with that that you have to think differently. You have to change it in order to change what's in front of you. And that's what pain is. Pain is a request for change. And to me, it's like changing in how you view pain, but changing in how you're approaching uh, what you're trying to do to change it through your habits and behaviors. 
Such a great line. I I absolutely love that. And I think, you know, we don't think of pain that way a lot. We think of it as something that's bad, something I need to fix. And that's why I go to see someone and I and they fix that pain. But we're like you said before, when you were treating people, it was usually just hitting that area, but then you'd have to keep doing it over and over again. So what really was the root cause? And I love that, you know, for you, I'm curious, what made you like, what was that first stepping stone to make you think when you were going through everything you were experiencing to say, oh, this is something that's, that's changing the way I'm feeling. Like, what was that first thing that kind of got you, you know, closer to where you are now? Well, I actually ended up having to rescue myself because mm. <clears throat> what I was doing to try to help myself wasn't working. So mm. then I had to step back, kind of start from scratch, if you will, and look at basics and fundamentals that I was most likely taking for granted or overlooking. <clears throat> and uh, th- that was the rescuing myself moment was it. And then I had to reframe, honestly, how I looked at uh, pain because I was looking at pain for myself as um, an obstacle. It was a it was a war. It was a battle. It was a fight. Mm-hmm. It was my body turning on me, kind of feeling like I was being punished in a way. And the harder I fought it, the more it hurt. But that's not really conducive towards healing. It, it's yeah. it's building up this adversarial fight relationship and resentment to what your body is trying to tell you and. I can tell you resentment never works out well for anyone in the long run. So I had to reframe it and say, okay, what is it that you're trying to tell me here? Why are you using pain as the message? Because I know you're trying to protect me and doing the best you can with what you got in the moment that you're in. And I stepped back and I just really listened. And when I reframed it as a form of protection and then unrelenting pain is overprotection. It's always trying to do its best to take care of you because I firmly believe that if you think it's bad right now, it can always be worse. Mm. I mean, that is that is the truth. And when you can flip it that way, it changes the questions that you ask yourself and it changes the question that you ask your body. And that's why that, that's what led me to really say, okay, well, if you're struggling to get well, why is it that you're not? What what am I missing? Mm-hmm. And then that's when I went back to basics and fundamentals of like, okay, well, in order to heal from something, you need to be able to make new cells that work. Mm-hmm. Because if you could make new cells that work, you wouldn't be sick all the time or you wouldn't have pain mm-hmm. all the time. And then I said, well, what in the world do you need to make new cells that work? That's a good question to ask after that. And then it just came down to two basics. Well, cells need nutrients and they need oxygen. Those are two big things. So that that right there checks off and looking at your nutrition box and your breathing box, right? Yeah. Uh, Which are two things that a lot, not a lot of people look at. And then so, but they need also to get rid of waste, get rid of toxins. So it needs nutrients to go in and it needs waste to get out after it uses the nutrients and it uses the oxygen. So it's a basic supply chain in and out. And if something is wrong with either one of those ends, then you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. And that was, so I started there and then I thought to myself, well, I've been doing everything on the front end 
I've been doing the supply side of you know, nutrition and diet and breathing and oxygen, and but I really wasn't doing anything on the other end, which was the elimination side, the waste management side. Hmm. And then that led me to believe, well, what in the world, what are the systems that do that? <laughs> yeah. Right? And once I asked that question, then I came across a system that I never was looking at, which was the lymphatic system. Mm. which is the primary part of your immune system. And then when I got into it, it turns out, holy cow, it's the main component of your cardiovascular system too, which means that I'm not even going to be able to get the nutrients and the oxygen from the cardiovascular side if the lymph side on the back end doesn't work that way. So I was missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And when I started to work on that end, that made all the difference for my progress that I was struggling up to that point. And then that's what really shifted everything for me and what I do. It just, mm. that it was the answer that I was looking for all along. And it's this, it's not necessarily what you're doing because it's important because everything works for someone. The most important thing is when are you doing what you're doing? The order yeah. that you're doing things and Matt makes a difference on if they're going to work or not. Yeah. That was what I was looking for. Like you can have everything that you need to get well, but if it's all jumbled up and you throw it in, you do it all at once. It usually won't work because there's too many things at the body at once, or you have to shuffle the pieces around like you're, like you're playing a chess game in the right order. You may have to rate, make, the next move correctly in order for you to win the game. And then that's when uh, that was the answer that I was looking for, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you're telling me that the lymphatic system is that sneaky knight that can move around the board like nothing else can and help you <laughs> set up moves. Um, now, just to go with your chest analogy, but I, I love what you said right there. And there's a lot I know of just physiologic specifics that we could get bogged down thinking of on how, uh, faulty or in a suboptimal lymphatic system might affect your oxygen and nutrition delivery. But, you know, th that can get pretty overwhelming to people. You know, we're, we're kind of saying, oh, every system of your entire body has to do with how you're feeling pain and why you're perceiving things the way you're perceiving. So if we want to just distill it down to what are some things that people listening or people in their own homes can do right now to start paying more attention to their lymphatic system or get their lymphatic system to work a little bit better? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I have this saying that you can't change something until you become aware of it. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's a capital Y-O-U. Because mm -hmm. listen, everything's always changing. You just don't notice it because <laughs> yeah. you, you're not present. You're not paying attention. You don't have awareness. Go, it's changing. But if you want to have a role in it, you have to see it first. So the first big step towards changing your lymphatic system is knowing that you got one and knowing what it is and knowing you should be paying attention to it. That right there. And because everything I'm in healthcare, I've been doing this stuff for 25 years and I didn't even bother looking at that system either. So I don't expect an everyday person to, uh, think about it. And most people, even in healthcare, I go limp, they go limp. What? Like, what does that have to do with anything? I'm like, well, it's like everything, man. It, that That's the, the, what I call the creamy filling of the donut. That's the cake mix. And, you know, we only hear about that system in two cases. One, when you have cancer, when somebody drops the C word on you, yeah, because, um, you know, it can travel through the lymphatic system to go anywhere in the body, which first of all, should give you your biggest clue of just how important it is. 
if it can send cancer cells anywhere, it can also send healing anywhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's and huge. then uh, the only thing about it with lymphedema, when you have a body part that gets really, really swollen with fluid, that you notice it because the lymphatic system is supposed to get rid of swelling and inflammation in, in the body and waste, mm-hmm. metabolic waste, which is cellular waste from your cells dying every day on purpose, pre-programmed to do so. So you can make new ones that are even stronger and more resilient. But in order to do that, you got to get rid of the old ones. And then you have to take care of all the bacteria, toxins, viruses, parasites, fungus, cancer cells, metabolic waste. Basically, anything you don't want surfing inside of your body for a long period of time, that system is supposed to get rid of it, right? And you're, everything is always influencing lymphatics. It's just that people are not doing it on purpose. They're not doing it with intention. <clears throat> so two things move your lymphatic system primarily. And humans don't do a lot of them these days. Number one is movement. Mm. Mm-hmm. And people say, what kind of movement? And my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, I don't care. And it, it should be movement that's different than you normally do. Right. And it, I say move more of yourself more often, more ways and more environments, which is a big, nice way to say move differently all the time. Because mm. here's the thing. Most humans don't move a lot. Yeah. They're very sedentary and they sit a lot and nothing that sits for a long period of time ever does well, right? I mean, look at anything in nature like that. And even if you look at pools of water that sit still and don't move, they become stagnant, they become diseased. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what can happen to the water inside of your body because that's what lymphatic is and that's what your body is mostly liquid. So you need to do that, but it's also doing the same type of movement all the time can also make you vulnerable because what happens is that when you move a certain way all of the time, your body has to compensate and adapt to that. And it develops lines of tension and stress, kind of like a callus on a hand where you'll get that in order to um, prepare yourself for something that you do a lot of for wear and tear. And when you do the same kind of movement all of the time, you lay down lines of tension and stress and then fluid has to move around that. So that's why you want to do different things. If you uh, do yoga, you want to do weightlifting. If mm. you do weightlifting, you want to do yoga. You want to switch it up a little bit. <clears throat> Number two is uh, breathing through the diaphragm primarily. So diaphragm breathing, which a lot of people are getting more into these days because it's it's coming out there more in the world of importance for stress reduction and uh, breathing through your diaphragm, which is a muscle in your body at the lower part of your rib cage, increases pressure throughout the body, but mostly in your abdomen. And that's where most of your lymphatics live or in your abdomen around your gut which is also where most of your immune system lives. 70 to 80% of your immune system lives in your gut, which is kind of important to know. And <laughs> when you breathe through your diaphragm, you move that system, you move that lymph. And most people don't breathe through the diaphragm because they've forgotten how, and they breathe more through the neck and the uh, chest and the shoulders and the lungs as opposed to the diaphragm. So they shut that pump off. So the two primary pump mechanisms to get things moving in your body, we don't do. Yeah, that's huge. And that's, I mean, I think the biggest problem that we're continuing 
to perpetuate is no, don't move. Like we'll bring you your food. We'll bring you this. We'll, we'll get you to, to just sit and watch and do rather than getting up and moving more. And it's, it is becoming a huge problem. I even see it in myself, like working at the computer more, sitting all day, like I'm not getting up and moving. I call myself out on that. Wait, are, are you giving me an excuse to tell you to go get something yourself when you ask me to get something now for you? Hey, <laughs> yes, yes I am. But it, it is huge. And how can people even just start looking at diaphragmatic movement and breathing? How are there things that you say or you can tell people right now to to just become aware of like what if, how do I know if my diet if I'm breathing from my diaphragm or not? Yeah, such a good question, right? Now, um, there's so many different types of breathing techniques out there. People always ask me, you know, what's your favorite? And my answer is, I've said it before, is yes, because <laughs> they all come into play and they all have value and they all work. But you want to start off simply just by breathing through the diaphragm. And awareness is the first part. <clears throat> and the easiest way to accomplish that, honestly, is just to try to breathe more in and out through your nose as opposed to your mouth. Um, breathing in through your nose automatically engages the diaphragm muscle more for you. So you move it without even thinking about it when you have your nose closed because some people have a hard time even feeling where they should breathe from with the diaphragm and it's been so long since they've done it they, they can't sense it um, because we were trained or kind of adapted to breathing in and out through the mouth which mm -hmm. forces you to use your neck more and your shoulders and your chest and your lungs as opposed to the diaphragm and here's the thing if you've got a lymphatic system that's already congested and backed up, it's difficult to breathe through your nose because mm. you'll, you'll develop a lot more mucus in the system because the mucus is laid down as a protective response to try to coat things so you don't get sick. <laughs> so a lot of people have congested airways in the nose or the throat, clearing of the throat, post-nasal drip. Those are classic first signs of lymphatic type issues, allergies are as well. But closing your mouth, breathing in and out through your nose is the first thing you want to do. And then uh, you want to concentrate on not necessarily breathing through your abdomen, which is important to do, but on the outside lower margins of your lower rib cage. So I tell people, if you put your hands along the side of your waistline and then you work your way up until you feel the rib cage, the first part of the rib cage on the left side and on the right side, mm -hmm. if you put your hands there, that's where you want to feel the sensation when you breathe in through your nose that your rib cage goes sideways. So the ribs are trying to envision them expanding into your hands on the left and the right. And it's not easy. It's challenging because you haven't done it in a while. If you mm -hmm. go through the size of your rib cage, you'll automatically go through the abdomen. But if you go through the abdomen, you don't automatically go through the size of the rib cage. Mm -hmm. So that's the first cue that I have people do with uh Hands there helps you get a sense of what they call proprioceptive awareness, sensory awareness, because then you can feel and go, ah, yeah, now I got it. And if you can 
put your hands on the side of your rib cage, breathe in and out through your nose and jump up and down a little bit on the balls of your feet. Well, Mm -hmm. you'll move the limp at the same time as you're breathing in and out through the diaphragm. So you're getting movement and it's kind of like rebounding. So your calves are built in rebounders that nature gave you. (laughs) So you should use them and breathe in and out through your nose and you're doing two easy, simple things to start to get your pump to move a little bit better. And you only have to do it for about a minute Mm. and you feel different. And do you do that like every day? Is it multiple times a day? Like what do you recommend for people? Yeah. So there's no sweet spot for it, but I tell people just start off and do it once and see how you feel. And most people will say, first of all, that was fun. (laughs) Uh, Two, I I feel different when I did that. And then they'll want to do it more often. Mm. So in order to get somebody to do something, you want to make it easy. And I would say, I would rather you do that for 30 seconds to a minute, like three to four times a day rather than do that for three minutes straight. Yeah. Because one, you probably won't do it for three minutes straight because you're going to be like, all right, I'm already bored. But (laughs) it's about uh, putting it in as a ritual and then making it easy and simple. And then it'll it'll build up that momentum. And then you'll start to say, well, you know, that didn't take much effort for me to do. Wasn't a big uh, thing on my schedule. And uh, this is crazy, but I'm actually starting to feel a little bit better. I can't believe how something so simple made me feel so different. And that's how it is when you get basics and fundamentals. When you can nail those, it's a catalyst. I mean, it's it's an igniter for feeling better in all of the other things that you're doing. Yeah, I, I think that's super powerful. And I, I hope that there's people out there listening that are literally bouncing on their heels and, and yeah. breathing a little <laughs> bit differently right now. Because you, you said earlier in the podcast, pain can be a massive motivator, a massive motivator for change. And it can be a huge empowerment or inspiration once you find one little thing that makes you feel different. And I find that breath or something simple like bouncing on the heels like this can be that one minute thing that make that empower somebody and makes them feel, oh my gosh, I have the ability to influence how my body feels. And, they, and once you make that switch in someone's head, it can have profound changes on their life 10, 20 years down the road. And so you've been talking a little bit about breath as something that can help us influence and clear up this mystical lymphatic system. But I also know that breath, and I'm sure you talk in depth about this, uh, has massive influence on the nervous system and on our pain Mm -hmm. systems and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about how breathing differently has impact on our pain and and why more from a nervous system standpoint? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, So breath, I'm finding, and I think a lot of researchers are finding that breathing is the number one way, or if not top way, to influence the functioning of your autonomic nervous system, which is really important because, you know, autonomic means that it works automatically, right? And we want to have some type of control over that. And the reason that's so popular right now with the autonomic nervous system is because of the amount of stress that human beings are under, especially Mm -hmm. with the zombie apocalypse that we're just getting over, right? And all the other (laughs) things going on in the world. And that 
that stress response. So it'd be good if I can talk about the autonomic nervous system very quickly and how breathing can help that. So the autonomics are the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, fight, uh, flee. Like you're trying to get away from something. You're always switched on. So you don't die right now and you'll do whatever you need to do to not die, which is, which is pretty important, right? Yeah. Surviving is the name of the game. You can breathe later. You follow? Mm. And, then you have the opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the kind of the relaxation. They call it the wine, dine, feed, breed, which is drinking, socializing, eating, reproduction. You're just chilling. And then that's the one that is after the stress response that you come down from that you can heal, recover and regenerate and make yourself a more resilient monster. Got it. And it's like a seesaw it goes up and down. One goes up, one goes down, one goes up, one goes down. And you should baseline set in the middle. And you have a third part of that called your enteric nervous system, a.k.a. otherwise known as your gut. Mm-hmm. That's the what they call the gut brain axis. You know what it's like when you have a, an event in your life and you just feel like you got kicked in the guts. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Right there. So that's the actually the emotional center of the body in my work. Um, and that'll tie back into the lymphatic system again nicely because you're in the gut. But um, you want to you need a sympathetic response because you want to get away from something or fight from something. But you also want to come down from that. And then that's the parasympathetic response. When you do breathing, it's a great way to influence that. So they're finding that when you inhale breathing in, that will stimulate more of the sympathetic nervous system. When you exhale, that stimulates more of the parasympathetic nervous system. So if you can have prolonged exhales, breathing out for a long period of time, slowing down your breathing, then that can put you in a relaxed state. So that's the one when you get into that stressful situation. First of all, your fight or flight kicks in just subconsciously. You're just there. And in order to snap out of that, you have to have some awareness to it. One of the first things you can do to calm yourself down is start to be aware of your breathing. So when something, say somebody cuts you off in traffic, for instance, and then you're getting to that response, then you just think to yourself, okay, Time for me to take some breaths. You breathe in through your nose and through the nose, not through the mouth to, to push the diaphragm, right? Move the diaphragm. And then you have a nice prolonged exhale. This one, you can go out through the mouth and then a longer exhale count. So a few things happen there. Automatically, the long exhale stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system. Number two, you're no longer paying attention to the event that just stressed you out. You're paying attention to your breathing, but you're also paying attention to your cadence. Mm. So now you're following the numbers. Then you can start to pay attention to, well, am I expanding through the size of my rib cage there? And then you pick a target number of breaths that you want to do. So you just took back control of that autonomic nervous system response, first from the awareness that you can, and then doing that breathing. It's really, really powerful. And the biggest part of changing that habit is just the initial awareness part. Then you get into the breathing, and before you know it, you'll you'll start to be a master at it. 
I mean, this is this is huge. And it's, it's hard because it's not always the sexy stuff you can show on social media. And, you know, it's but it's coming back into your body and doing exactly the intention of addressing the, the pain and being able to communicate with the body rather than battling the body, something that you mentioned before. And that's that's huge. It's everything. That's part of the movement that's getting you back in into being able to move the lymphatics. And I just I love how you're you're teaching this. And I'm just going to throw it out there that you guys should go follow Stop Chasing Pain. That's his Instagram because he drops so many little nuggets of wisdom along the way of of techniques and things you can do to to drop into this system. But what do you do? Like, I'm, I'm curious too, is this part of more a part of your practice as a chiropractor? Like you're still doing adjustments. How, how are you really working with people now as opposed to like 10 years ago? Yeah, it's evolved for sure. Um, I, I usually tell people this, I'm typically not the first person you see when you have an issue. I'm usually the last mm. and I've designed it that way where I honestly hesitate to tell people that I'm a chiropractor because when I say that, you go to this mental file folder of what you think that is, mm-hmm. and you have a 100% chance of being wrong on that if you <laughs> want to put me into a box. That's not happening um, because I do it if I need to, but usually by the time somebody sees me, they've had all of the stuff that is supposed to have helped them by that standpoint. Yeah, Chiropractic is a big one. Um, so the last thing I'm going to do is what everybody else has done, because if it's what you needed, you wouldn't be standing there. Mm. So automatically, my thinking process is I'm not doing the normal. I'm, I'm doing something different. I'm taking a different approach to it. And that is just one approach that you can take. So when they come in to see me now, those are the, the autoimmune disease, the chronic pain. Uh, had stuff for a long, long period of time and nothing seems to be helping. So that standpoint, I know a few things by the time you're standing in front of me. I know one, your lymphatic system's a hot mess Hmm. because nobody's probably ever checked it. If they did, it wasn't intentionally and it wasn't on purpose. So Hmm. that's the first assessment that I do on everyone. And then I automatically know you have an issue with your autonomic nervous system. You're probably stuck in what they call dysautonomia or sympathetic dominance, where you are stuck in a fight or flight response that you can't get out of even though you want to, which means that your nervous system has set it there and adapted to it because it's what's been keeping you alive so far and it doesn't want to let go or doesn't think it can let go yet. Mm. You can't think your way out of that. You can't think your way out of a sympathetic dominant response. And it's not going to happen. It's more of a subconscious thing. And the only way you're going to get help that is to get into working with the system itself and doing a lot of manual based work so you can help the system restore itself. And that's what we that's what we do. And we do it through a very specific process. Like we go through step by step on the different systems of the body in a particular order. Because mm. like I mentioned before, um, people can do a lot of therapies that can be very good for someone. But here's one of the things I've learned over the years after studying people in chronic pain and going through it. 
even therapeutic interventions, no matter how good they are, are stressors. Mm. Interesting. So you're working with a nervous system that normally could handle that, but now it can't. And then any small bit of a good thing overwhelms the system. And when you overwhelm the system, it has, does two things. One, it doesn't change at all and it, it trenches in even harder or it pushes back harder. Mm. Yeah. And then that's where people do the opposite. They say, well, let me just do more. Mm. And it's the exact opposite of what you need to do. You need to do less, but not only less, it's what you do and when you when you do it. Right. So switching those orders around is is a big one. But those are the top two that we work with on people is one, the lymphatics, and then two, working with the uh, autonomic nervous system on that. And that's through a lot of work that we do with a nerve called the vagus nerve, which is getting a lot of press right now because of yeah. stress, but also because they see that uh, it has a lot to do with people recovering from chronic illness. So, I mean, lots I'd love to continue to dive in on with you. I mean, you, you even just kind of mentioned uh, in what you were just saying, chronic pain, and we really haven't even talked about differences between, you know, more acute or musculoskeletal aches and pains versus a chronic pain. I mean, I know that there are week-long lectures you could go to and still not cover chronic pain, but are, are there a few <laughs> things that you can yeah. say now to talk to people or educate on what the difference is in our body between a chronic pain versus a more acute pain? Yeah. Oh, you can go into some quicksand on pain for sure, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that they're discovering about pain that they never knew before and things that they thought were the way pain works and they realize, well, we got that one totally wrong. Oopsie daisy. And mm -hmm. it's a learning process of just science and discovery and technology. But two important things is that, that it's important to know that one pain is not punishment. It's protective. It's trying to keep you safe and it, it uses it for a reason. And it is protection. Two, that pain is in the brain. Pain doesn't have anything to do with tissue damage because there's no correlation between the amount of damage, and the amount of pain that you have, which is a big one for people to understand. And pain is an output signal from the brain, not an input signal. So your brain interprets signals that go into the brain. And one of the stories that can tell itself is pain as an output. So part of the things with Pain science these days is changing how people look at pain and what it's telling them and the story you're telling yourself about that pain so you can change pain yourself. And you have chronic pain, which typically means you've had something longer than four to six weeks. And acute pain, you can have it from trauma where, okay, if you slip and then you bang your knee, A equals B, mm -hmm. right? But there's also of where my knee didn't hurt yesterday, but now it hurts. That's a totally different mechanism that you have to go about treating. And the ones that medicine is is pretty good at is the traumatic care, right? If something happens to you, I go to the hospital and I get it looked at and I take the pain medications and I do what I need to do so the body can heal itself and then you're all good. But then there's the chronic pain one. And then that's the one that the healthcare is struggling with because there's never just one cause of pain. 
it can come from many different factors and everybody experiences it differently and in their own way. And something that might cause you pain doesn't cause me pain at all it, because we have different histories and different backgrounds and different interpretations of that. So uh, that's a big reframe that people need to go is uh, don't understand the difference between acute pain that happens that's traumatic or you can have chronic pain that comes and goes and then you have what's called an acute exacerbation of a chronic problem where it flares up a little bit. And it usually does that in relationship to the more stress that you have. Stress Mm -hmm. increases the perception of pain or inflammation in the body. So once again, you cycle back to your autonomic nervous system. Yeah. So this, there's many different rabbit holes of pain to go down and it's going to be interesting to see where the pain science takes us in the next five years. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're definitely one of the people I look at as well as we continue this journey and we're, we're learning other things that we can help people with to, to just keep expanding on not just addressing this initial bout of pain that you're physically feeling, but where can we look elsewhere? And I love one of the quotes that you have too. I have it saved, which is people think they need to feel better before moving more when it's the other way around, which yeah, is it's, right. it's everything. That's what I constantly get asked. Well, I can't do that yet because I'm in pain. <laughs> Yeah, that is a big one. But you because pain instills some of that fear inside of you yeah. because you're you're first of all, if you feel it's gonna hurt when you move, it's probably gonna hurt because you're anticipating that it's gonna hurt. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we tend to focus on the area that does hurt and we forget about the rest of the body that doesn't. Mm. Right. And if you just start to move the because movement is uh like its own elixir of health that it doesn't have to be a lot of movement that's i think that what people get wrapped up in where let's say for instance your your lower back hurts right and it's it's you're scared to move and it's really hard for you to move you can get in a comfortable position anywhere uh usually it's lying on your back with your knees up if it's really hitting you hard because i've been there and you don't want to move but i'm like okay when you're there how about you move all of your body as much as you can. Move your head, move your eyes, do your breathing, move each one of your fingers and your wrists and your elbows and your shoulders and then your ankles and your toes and just show awareness to all those other body parts. And that's going to feed into the center. That's going to go into the middle. And then your body is going to start saying to itself, hey, man, you know, you're moving these and they're not hurting and I'm feeling pretty good. So you start to have a little bit of an empowerment there and it feeds the whole nervous system from a subconscious to a conscious level at the same time. And then you can work your way in towards moving the center more and a little bit of a nice trick for uh, for back pain is that if your back hurts and you can walk, try walking backwards and it usually helps your back feel much mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. I like that. And I just really like a lot of these cues and tips are, are about getting people to broaden their awareness of things, to, yeah. to take themselves out of that scope of this pain, pain bad, you know? And, and that sometimes is where we're continuing to cycle when, we just broaden our horizons a little bit, broaden, you know, our perception of what movement c- 
can look like and how much movement we need to do to start changing what we're feeling in our body. And I appreciate all these different little tips and tricks that you're you're dropping here. Um, and again, just the conversation that we got to have, I know we barely scratched the surface <laughs> on so many different things. And myself as a young clinician and learner, I have continued to learn year to year more and more about pain and the complexities of pain. And I just, again, love hearing someone like yourself who's been doing it for much longer continue continuing to say, I just feel like I'm scratching the surface. It's kind of like that curve that the more you know, the more you understand, <laughs> you don't know anything. And uh, we get to all continue to learn about this together and find ways to help each individual, you know, attack and overcome and reframe what they're feeling. And so appreciate the work you're doing. Appreciate that we got to have you on for this interview. Hopefully we get to have you back in the future. Uh, you mentioned uh, or we mentioned your Instagram, Stop Chasing Pain. Everyone should go check you out there. Where else can people find out what you're doing or learn more from you? Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's probably the best place to find anything uh, about my work is StopChasingPain.com. That's the central hub that will branch you out to all of the different things that we offer from. We have memberships and we have courses that anybody can attend and online videos. And we have our own podcast that I've had for 12 years now, which I can't mm. believe I've had a show that long. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the early podcasts that, that came on out and uh, that's the Stop Chasing Pain podcast as well. And I probably at this point spend an unhealthy amount of time on Instagram, but that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest place that I do most of my work and interact with people. So we'd love to have you visit there and say hi. And as well to thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I love everything that you're both doing and your show and your Instagram channel and your work. Thanks for letting me be a little part of it today. Of course. Again, you're just, you're doing such great work and, and I really have admired for years and will continue to admire what you're doing and hope people go check it out. I'm always a sucker for a good pain talk, especially with somebody like Dr. Perry, who makes it so understandable as to how all of the systems of the body can impact our pain. Go check him out. Selfishly, Jen and I, I know, love listening and learning from him how even something like the lymphatic system can really impact the way we're perceiving pain. So hopefully you took away a great little tool or tip that you can try in your own home and change the way your body feels. And of course, like I mentioned at the beginning, you can get a 10% discount on the Optimal Body Toolkit if you go to the link in the show notes and use code OPTIMAL10. If you've been loving the podcast, we would love for you to subscribe and leave a rating or review on your favorite platform that really helps us get seen just by more people out there. And of course, we will see you next time on another Optimal Body Podcast.